Well, good morning. It is a uh, good morning. As I uh, was driving here to the church this morning so we could uh, record this online, I thought about how uh, Easter is different in some ways that I can remember, uh, as far back as I can remember, we would go to Easter as a family and my sisters always had their Easter dresses and my mom would always have some type of tie, sometimes a, a, a suit and tie or something that I would wear, or my dad would wear. We'd wear our, our, as they call it, their Easter best and go to church. And uh, there's a lot of other traditions and things that we would do. And it's different this year. Uh, some of those things that maybe you are uh, used to are different this year. The wonderful thing about Easter, uh, about uh, uh, what we celebrate today, is even though things in this world are different, uh, the message of Easter remains the same. This morning, as uh, Pastor Sean just read to you, we'll be in Luke chapter 24. And as we look at this account of the resurrection, we reflect back to what happened on Friday. On Friday, Jesus was beaten. Uh, Jesus was punched in the face. Jesus had his beard ripped out by hand. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. They took a, a cat of nine tails and repeatedly whipped and tore his back apart. People spit in his face and he hung on the cross. And there at the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus gave up his life. He breathed his last breath, and he died there. He was taken off the cross. He was placed in an empty tomb. His body was wrapped with linens and put 70 pounds of spices over him to preserve his body. And a very large stone was rolled in front of the tomb, and there were Roman soldiers who were posted to guard. There was a, a fog of despair, a fog of depression, of hopelessness that had come upon the disciples and the women who had followed after Jesus. And we pick up on Sunday morning, as was just read in Luke 24, where these women are on their way to the tomb with some spices to anoint a corpse. They were going to see a dead body. If you'd look with me at the text this morning in verses 1 through 12, I want you to see four things that we uh, look to in this passage. And the first being in verses 1 through 3 is that the women were looking for a dead man. They were looking for a body of a man who had died it says there in verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. You see, these women had seen Jesus nailed to the cross. They saw Him bleed. They saw Him die. They saw Him buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And these women were now taking these spices to, in a sense, embalm the body of Jesus. They were going to go see a corpse. And as they arrive at the place, they are thinking about what they had seen on Friday. That there was a large stone that had been rolled in place. And they were wondering, well, who's going to move this stone? And if you look down farther in the text, it lists three women. But it is also said that other women with, were with them. 
with the number of women, they knew they could not roll this stone back and wondered who would be the person who would do that for them. And verse 2 says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The stone was rolled away. Matthew chapter 28, the account of the resurrection there, Matthew writes that it was an angel that rolled the stone away and not only just rolled the stone away like it was nothing, but sat on top of the stone. If you go and read in Matthew, uh, in that account, uh, the Jewish leaders uh, wanted to make sure that there were going to be soldiers guarding the tomb so that the disciples would not steal the body of Jesus because the religious leaders knew that Jesus said he would rise again. And so these Roman soldiers are posted there. And Matthew says that when the angel showed up, that the Roman soldiers, most likely experienced in battle, they shook in terror and fainted. They passed out because of the fear of what they were seeing. But the women were looking for a dead man. They were looking for a corpse. And they show up and they cannot find the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus' body was gone. And we see in verses 4 through 7, the second thing which is stated to them is that he is not dead. He has risen Verse 4, it says that they're confused. It says that they're perplexed. They're wondering what has happened. They're, they're, they're not only seeing these angels there, but uh, in these men in these dazzling white cloths, but they are looking in the tomb. It's empty. Jesus' body is not there. And they know that this is where Jesus was laid. They had witnessed this. It says in verse 4, when they were, while they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Where did they move Jesus' body? Who moved Jesus' body? Why would anyone move Jesus' body? Again, they fully expected to see the body of the man who they had been following, the man who they loved, the man that they called Rabbi Jesus Christ. They expected to go and see a body that had been wrapped and covered with these spices. In the other Gospels, it accounts that not only these women had come, but then when they leave, Mary Magdalene, who was with them, comes back because she... So God to find Jesus' body. Even after hearing what the angels say, it's like that she doesn't believe. And so she has to come back. It, it, it gives the account of her coming back and finding a man who she thinks is the gardener and saying, hey, just tell me where you moved his body. Here in Luke's account, the women are afraid because they're seeing these men. And again, in these dazzling, glorious white clothes that they're angels. And there is this fear, but they're uh, they're, they're not passing out like the Roman soldiers and they want to know what is happening. And the men say this to them in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's almost like the, the angels are saying to them, why did you come to the tomb today? You already know that this was going to happen. Jesus already told you. Why are you even here? Verse 6 They say these wonderful words, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee. Remember a few months ago when you were in Galilee? Remember what Jesus said to you then. 
Verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. The women had forgotten. They had completely forgotten what Jesus had said to them months before, saying, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise back to life on the third day. But the angels remind them of this truth, this fact, what they were experiencing would happen. And there you go and tell the disciples, and we see in verses 8 through 11 that some of them think this is too good to be true. The third thing we see is that it's too good to be true for some of them. Verse 8 says they remembered when the angel said, that's right, Jesus said this would happen. And so they begin to reflect on that. And if you look at Luke chapter 18 is a passage where he tells them that this would happen. Again, this is months before Jesus goes to the cross. And it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus was specific in everything that would happen. And everything that he told them would happen, happened exactly like he said. And he died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. And the third day, the tomb is empty because Jesus has risen from death to life, as the angels declare to the women. They remembered the words of Christ and that fog of despair has now been lifted and there's joy and there's a hope that they would see Jesus again and they go and run to tell the disciples what has happened. If you look at verses 9, it says, Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So the disciples that were there and the other followers of Christ that were there, they say, here's what we just experienced Verse 10, it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. It's the women that were part of the group that followed Jesus that are the first witnesses of the empty tomb on that morning. And you might wonder, well, why does Luke write down their names here? What's the importance of that? If you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke is writing down historical facts. He's, he's interviewing witnesses. He's doing this to give an account to a person. And so he writes down the names of the women because the early church would have known who these women were. They're historical facts that these women were the first ones at the tomb that day. And they were the ones who saw the angels. And they were the ones who heard the angels declare that Jesus is not here. He is risen. And they go and tell the disciples the truth of what has happened. But the disciples, they, they too do not remember that Jesus told them this would happen. Again, in a sense, it's too good to be true for them. Verse 11, it says, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. 
You would think that these disciples who's been with Jesus for three years, who walked with him and talked with him and went everywhere he went and listened to what he said, you would think that they would be the ones to immediately believe, but they didn't. They think that the women are telling them an idle tale. They think that it's utter nonsense of what is going on. But it's Peter. If you read what happened on the night that Jesus Christ uh, was arrested, uh, Peter, he denied Jesus, even knowing Jesus, three different times. And Christ looked at him in the eyes of the third time. And Peter realizes that what he's done and he runs off weeping. And here now, Peter is the one who responds first of the disciples when they hear. And he runs to the tomb. Actually, I love the account in John chapter 20 because uh, John in his gospel, one of, the, one of the three, Peter, James, and John that were closest to Jesus, John writes about this running to the tomb, says that Peter takes off. But John says that he beat Peter and he raced to the tomb and passes him up. Peter goes into the tomb, though, to see uh, these cloths that are lying there. And Peter is the one who goes in. And I wonder if Peter was at that moment saying, I need to get to Jesus. Is he alive? I need to be reconciled to him. I'm so sorry for denying him as my Lord. But Peter is the one who goes to the tomb and we see this in verse 12, that Peter is amazed at the empty tomb. Verse 12 says this, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter goes into the tomb. He sees the place where Jesus would have been laid, and he sees those cloths with no body in it. He sees the head covering that's been folded and set to the side. And he's amazed. He's in wonder in what he's witnessing. And that same word that describes of his amazement is the same word that describes the amazement of the people in the little town of Bethlehem. Remember Christmas? Remember when Jesus Christ was born? There was angels in Luke chapter 2 that appear to the shepherds in the field. And they say, hey... There's some wonderful, good, glorious news today. In Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 18, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so the shepherds are like, what? They take off and they say, hey, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And they go and they find Jesus. They find Mary. They find Joseph. And they worship and when they leave that place, they tell everyone in the city that they see. And the people in the city are in wonder and in amazement, just like Peter was when he went into the tomb and saw that Jesus was gone. Think about the last time that you were really amazed by something. The last time that you were just in awe of something or just in wonder of something that you've seen. Maybe something in creation. Maybe something that an act of, that someone did for another. Something that happened. There's amazement in Peter's heart and wonder. And he leaves the tomb. 
Well, the Gospels go on to teach us in the accounts of the resurrection that these women, that they saw Jesus, that uh, Mary saw Jesus, that on the road to Emmaus at the end of chapter 24 of Luke, there's two that are walking to Emmaus and Jesus, they don't know what Jesus comes with them and he travels with them and then they eat together and he breaks the bread and, and they realize it's Jesus and he was telling them that, hey, all these things in the word of God are about me and then after those two, it says that Jesus appeared to Peter and then he appeared to the other disciples while they were in a closed room in Luke chapter 24, in verses 36 through 43, it says that when Jesus appeared in this room that had been closed where the disciples were, they thought they saw a ghost. They still were in disbelief. And Jesus therefore then says, see my hands, see my feet, pointing to the wounds, the marks that, for, for that the nails had put into uh, his body as he hung on the cross. He says, touch me. He says, Give me some food to eat, showing disciples the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's one disciple that wasn't with them that day, and the Gospel of John tells us that almost a week later, Thomas, uh, the one who doubted, he says, Hey, unless I see Jesus, unless I touch those nail marks, whatever, put my hand to his side, I'm not going to believe. Jesus appears to the disciples and appears to Thomas, and Thomas. Uh, is in amazement and wonder. He says, my Lord and my God, my Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul also writes of the account of which the Gospels tell us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that not only did Jesus appear to his disciples and to those women, but at one time uh, before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he appears to over 500 people at one time in the same place. They all saw Jesus. They all heard from Jesus. It was a fact of these people and what they experienced. They had been with Jesus. The disciples had seen Jesus and known him for three years. They knew who Jesus was after he rose from death to life. And I would say this to you this morning. There are a number of false things about the resurrection of Christ. And some of you need to just stop believing what's been twisted, God's word being twisted by things like every year at this time, the History Channel always has something about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And they talk and speculate about like, well, this could have happened, that this could have happened. And some of you need to stop believing lies that Jesus just passed out on the cross, that he was wrapped in those linen cloths and caverns and the 70 pounds of spices and placed in a tomb. And he just was like in a coma at that time. That even though they pierced the heart sack of his body with a spear, that he still just kind of passed out. And then on Sunday morning, he just somehow unwrapped his mummified body in that sense. And somehow, after losing all that blood and all those things, he just happened to be able to have the strength to push the stone away and walk out. You may say, that's ridiculous. I agree. But our world pervades lies like that. And some of us just listen and go, maybe so. The Word of God is living. It's active. It's truth. Therefore, it teaches us that Jesus died and He rose again 
And we therefore believe because it's the word of God. If you believe some of the lies in the world and the things that Jesus really wasn't God or these things about this didn't really happen all this way, you're believing lies that Satan has has set out for us to believe. And it reminds me back to Genesis. And when God created the world, when he created Adam and Eve, and he said everything was good, Satan comes in and lies to Eve and lies to Adam. And they disobey God and they sin. And sin brings destruction to all because all have sinned. And God is holy and God is righteous. And because of that sin, it affects all of mankind. Well, if you step back from what we just read in Luke and looked at this text about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to take a moment and say, how does the resurrection apply in life? And so here's four applications of the resurrection. Number one, Jesus is alive because he's God. Who is anyone in history that's ever lived that died and is able to bring themselves back to life? Only Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God. Some people say he never claimed to be God, but you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus repeatedly claimed and stated that he is God. If you look at the reason why he was crucified by the uh, Jewish religious leaders, it's because he claimed to be God. That is why they wanted him dead and crucified him on the cross. But Jesus is the one who gave up his life. And Jesus defeated death and came back to life. And only God is the one who can defeat death. I mean, think with me for a minute. What if every year thousands and maybe millions of Christians around the globe would take a pilgrimage to Israel to go to the tomb and worship and praise Jesus because his bones or his dust is in there? You might think, well, that's kind of crazy. What happens in this world today, thousands of people visit Buddhist, Buddha's tomb in India yearly. Mohammed died on June 8th, 632, and his tomb is in Medina and visited by millions every year. They go to worship and to give honor to some bones or some dust that is in a burial tomb because their God is dead. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is alive because he is God. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says this, speaking of Jesus, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive because Jesus is God. Jesus is the only God and Savior. And because of that, the resurrection of Jesus makes Christianity a living faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that if the resurrection of Jesus is a lie, then Christian faith is worthless. Think about that for a minute. If Jesus did not rise from death to life, 
then Christian faith for eternal life is worthless. The early believers, the disciples, many men and women in the last 2,000 years have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. Disciples who lived with Jesus and saw him die, they do not die for something that they know is a lie. They would not go to their deaths proclaiming that he is Lord if they knew that he was in the tomb. The disciples knew that Jesus has raised from death to life and that he was God and that he was Savior and therefore were willing to stand and be murdered for the name of Jesus Christ. Again, if Jesus is not alive, then our faith is worthless and we are living in sin and all we are waiting for is death. Another application of the resurrection, the second one is Jesus is alive, proving that God's word is true. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul writes this in verses 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And he goes on of who he appeared to. But here's what you need to know, and here's what you need to be reminded of if you already know this. God spoke through his prophets, which we have recorded in the Old Testament, before Jesus was ever born, that the Messiah would die for our sins and that he would rise back to, to life from death. There's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus was born. It says that Jesus would die that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And Isaiah 53 tells us 700 years before Jesus Christ that he would die and he would raise back to life. Therefore, when you read 1 Corinthians 15, which declares the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says in accordance with scriptures, Jesus is alive, proving God's word is true. The third application is that Jesus is alive, revealing he has conquered sin and death. Jesus has defeated sin and he's defeated death. This morning, you have to ask the question, why did Jesus die? Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for sin. God is holy. We are not. And therefore, the cross is meant for you. The cross is meant for me. Where God would pour out his wrath upon us because we've sinned against him. But Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. And apart from that, all we have to wait for is death and eternal separation from God in hell. Hopelessness. If Jesus did not go to the cross to die for our sins. Jesus shed his blood. Covering our sins. Conquering sin. So that we could have eternal life. Jesus did what he did so that you could have peace with a holy God. The word of God tells us that we as sinners are actually enemies of God. 
And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, that by his bloodshed we could be forgiven and be brought at peace with God. And not only brought at peace, but through faith be adopted as one of his own sons and daughters. Jesus rose from death to live, to, to conquer death and its hold on us. And because Jesus has conquered sin and because Jesus has conquered death, we can see finally the fourth application that Jesus is alive and offers eternal life. The power that raised Jesus from death to life is the same power that can give you life today. Jesus offers his people new life, a new heart, a new start, a new hope. Jesus says in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question for all of you today who are hearing the gospel. You see, my job is to preach the gospel to you this morning. I have preached the truth, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and he's risen again. Your job this morning is to respond, to accept it and believe or to reject it. Do you believe this is the question that Jesus asks Christians who are tuning in right now, who are reflecting on the resurrection of Christ, you have joy, you have hope this morning in the midst of a dark, troubling time in this world because you have eternal life, because Jesus has defeated death and he's granted you that same uh, defeat over death and eternal life through faith in Him. I'd say to you this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, rejoice amidst the dark world. Rejoice that Jesus is alive, that He is risen. That's why we say He is risen indeed. And if you're not a believer, if you haven't followed Jesus, if, if, if today is the day, maybe you've heard this truth before, but today there's something happening in, in your life I would tell you that you're probably being convicted by the Holy Spirit, moving on your heart, pointing out sin in your life and saying, God is holy. And I would plead with you, encourage you, and beg you to respond to the Holy Spirit, to confess your sins to Jesus Christ, to confess Jesus that He is Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A wonderful thing that we reflect on today. The cross of Christ, the finished work that he has done, and the empty tomb because Jesus is alive. A short time after Jesus spent walking with his disciples, he gathered them together. He commissioned them and said, go and tell their people this truth. And as Jesus completed that 
He then ascended into heaven. His disciples, his followers, watched him go into the clouds. And the angel said, what are you doing still looking up? He's coming back. He's already told you what to do. Go back into the city and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we rejoice and we wait for the return of Christ. Jesus has defeated death by raising back to life. As the worship team comes forward, I want to encourage all of you to reflect this morning. For the Christian, how are you rejoicing in the work that Christ has done for you this morning? And as a person who the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart today, I could tell you to pray a prayer. But there's no prayer in the Bible that says, pray this to be saved. It's confessing to Jesus Christ that you're a sinner in need of Him, a Savior, and He does a saving work. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask in this moment that you would continue to work in our hearts. We ask, Jesus, that you would reveal truth to us this morning. Father, for those of us who love you, who have faith in you, we rejoice in you. We thank you that you died for us. We thank you that you love us so greatly. And we praise you because you are alive. Jesus, you are God. You are risen. And we praise your name, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, would you stir the hearts of those who have been far from you that maybe at this moment are far from you and would you call them to you that they would confess their sins and confess Jesus as Lord. Father, would you save your people from their sins? Thank you for giving your life for us. We wait expectantly. We wait, Jesus, for you to return. That we would be in your presence, face to face, for all eternity. 